Good morning again. It's good to be together. Uh, are you a worrier? Anyone here a worrier? Describe yourself as a worrier? Yeah, good number of hands go up. We're going to uh, do a couple of little exercises to get started. On a scale of 1 to 10, where would you rate yourself as a worrier? So uh, 1 is hakuna matata, no worries, be happy. Uh, there's no worry. Uh, number 10 is there's nothing but worry in your life. How would you describe yourself, uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, on my little worry scale? Uh, lock in a number for yourself and then turn to someone near you, whether you came with them or not, whether you know them or not, and just share with them your number. Let's do that real quick. All right, all right, good enough. Uh, and because uh, self-reporting is not always accurate, uh, we're going to do a little test, a little very basic measurement of your, our, each of our actual level of worry and stress and anxiety in our lives this morning. I'm going to put an image up on the screen of two dolphins in just a moment. If you see the two dolphins right away, then there's probably a very low level of stress or worry or anxiety in your life. If you see anything else besides two dolphins, you may have some more things to be concerned about. Uh, we've got some prayer teams up here after worship. You can come up and hang out with them. So again, we're going to put a, uh, an image of two dolphins up on the screen. If you see that quickly, you're in pretty good shape. You're dismissed. You can go home. Uh, if not, uh, maybe Jesus has some things to say for you. So here we go. Take a look. One, two, three. You're looking for two dolphins. All right. That's a joke. That's a joke, of course. Just joking around. Uh, but congratulations if you saw the two dolphins, you're in good shape. Again, prayer teams after worship up on the front steps. <laughs> I think there's some sort of worry in all of our lives, in each of our lives. There are measures of stress and anxiety and uh, worry in different levels in different ways, probably in each of our lives. And so it's no surprise that Jesus talks about this, that he cares about this. This is who he is. He's a good shepherd. He knows us. He's the smartest man who ever lived. And so he takes up uh, an issue that's common to all of us. Uh, but before we uh, get into the scriptures, let's pray together again. God, help us to be attentive to you. We know that you're a good and loving Father. We know that you care about us, our warts uh, and all, uh, our highs and lows, our uh, dark spots and our bright spots. Uh, we know that you care. Thanks for your word, uh, 2,000 years and more of record and history that testify to your interaction with your people, who you are, what you're about, and about your kingdom and about your son, our king. Help us uh, to hear, help us to listen, help us to be attentive to your spirit among us and through your word. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words stray or deviate in any way from your word, may they be quickly and forever forgotten. Amen. So this morning we return to our uh, study of the Sermon on the Mount, a well-known collection of Jesus' teachings in Matthew chapter 5. Chapters 5, 6, and 7, uh, Sermon on the Mount, we read uh, last two weeks ago from chapter 6 of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6 of Matthew, verses 19 through 24. We pick up at verse 25 this morning. 
at the end of 24 in that little section, Jesus had been talking about the seductive nature of money, the spiritual nature of money, the spiritual power of money. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, Everyone has to choose between the two gods, the one true God and the God that we make into a God that is no God, mammon or money. That's where we pick up this morning, uh, chapter 6, verse 25. This is Jesus speaking. Listen closely. This is the word of God. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus said, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life or add a single cubit to your height? Is another way of translating that. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall, we eat? what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And those words are probably at least vaguely familiar to most of us. They are some of Jesus' most beloved words. Maybe because there's so much worry in our lives, and Jesus seems to care about that. He cares about our stress and our anxiety, and he seems to also have a plan or a remedy to lessen the hold of anxiety and stress and worry on our lives, on our hearts, on our minds, and maybe even he seems to promise to eliminate all of that somehow, which sounds really good. Jesus recognized, Jesus acknowledged the worry in the lives of the people to whom he was speaking, his disciples, and maybe thousands of other people on that hillside that day. But what do you think they worried about? What were their particular worries? Maybe food and drink, as the text suggests. Maybe clothes, what they were wearing. But maybe other things, maybe also other things, maybe those things and other things. We're not sure. I've become aware in watching the uh, episodes of the TV series, The Chosen. I know some of you have watched that or watched some of it. Some of you have watched all of it. If you haven't seen any of it or if you haven't heard of it, I encourage you to check out this TV series called The Chosen. Uh, you can download the app, watch it for free. A lot of it's on Netflix. But I've become aware in watching episodes of The Chosen, which attempts to sort of tell the story of Jesus and the Gospels, though off. Uh, often embellished in ways that are not inconsistent with Scripture, that we see the profiles of all of these people that we know bits and pieces about in the Gospels, just little bits and pieces. But in the TV series, there's time and space and video 
to develop all of these characters, these people, many of whom we know by name in the scriptures, but know little about them. Their lives seem simple in the Bible as I read it and as you read it. The descriptions about them are abbreviated. We may think their lives could not possibly have been as complex as our lives. With so many things that we have to do, to think about, to care about, to worry about, their lives, when we read the Bible, seem so simple, we may tell ourselves. All they had to worry about were food, clothes, fish. That's about it. But even if that was the case, in other words, all they had to worry about was food to eat and basic clothes to wear, that could have been a lot in their time, in their place, in their context. For most of us, we've never had to worry about the next meal, where it will come from, or what clothes we'll wear, or if we'll have enough clothes to wear. For most of us, our refrigerators and our pantries are full. Our closets and our dressers have always had more than enough. So what do people in our world, what do people in that world, what did they worry about? What do people in our world, your neighbors, people in our society, people in our region, people on the peninsula, people in your community, people in your neighborhood, people with whom you work and go to school, what do all of those people worry about? And let me make this not a rhetorical question. Give us some answers. Talk it out. What do people like us worry about today? What are our worries? Go ahead, talk it out. Tell me. Shout it out. Say it again. Being on the street. street. Some people live on the street. What else? Significance. Significance. What else? Health. Peace. Peace. Portfolio. Portfolios. Absolutely. Politics. Politics. Families. Families, I think someone said. Safety? What else? Anything else? All of these things, I think, are relevant to what Jesus is saying. So there's a huge survey that's done every month in 27 countries around the world, and it is recently reported that the things people around the world, or at least in these 27 diverse countries, worry the most about right now are these in order. First, inflation, which I think is just a number that the government releases every once in a while, but for some people, it's a huge worry because of what it does to their daily lives. Inflation, number one, poverty and social inequality, number two. Number three, unemployment, number four, crime and violence. I don't worry a lot about that. And number five, financial or political corruption, which says that these are very serious issues and concerns for a lot of people in the world, maybe even for some of the people, if you look backwards, that Jesus was speaking to on the hillside, then and there. And it puts into perspective for me the truly significant and understandable worry out there in our world, in our community. The pandemic has uh, been in so many people's lives so much more than wearing masks, working from home, vaccinations for many, simple flu-like symptoms for others. The World Health Organization reported that during the first year of the COVID pandemic, the prevalence of anxiety and depression around the world increased by a massive 25%. That's a lot of anxiety and depression caused by one thing. In addition, anxiety, as some of you may know, is a growing problem in the United States, especially among young people, college students. 
Over one half of undergraduate students reported feeling an quote overwhelming anxiety in the last year. In fact, 70% of undergraduates reporting having been been diagnosed or treated for anxiety, a number that is 66% higher than it was 13 years ago. 17% of undergraduate students. 17% of undergraduate students. So let's pray for our young people. The world in which they are growing up is increasingly more complex and stressful and worry-inducing. Therefore, Jesus says, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. I'm going to keep reading this so that we hear Jesus' words again and again. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the, farmer, see how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yes, I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The word worry occurs in some form, six times in that little passage. The phrase, do not worry, occurs three times. Jesus says it over and over and over. Do you think he means it? He did. Of course, Jesus' words sound like a command, do not worry. And that's generally the way most English versions translate those Greek words. Though some have made the case that Jesus' opening line could be translated, you don't have to worry about your life because your Father will take care of you. Rather than a rigid command, this would be an encouragement and permission. You don't have to worry about your life. Another New Testament scholar believes the thrust of Jesus' message is better translated this way. You can quit worrying about your life. You can quit worrying about your life. Also interesting. But regardless of the nuances of translating, Jesus is clearly anti-worry. He's opposed to worry. He wants for his disciples and all people to have worry-free lives or as much as is possible. And yet Jesus must be pointing to something different than, better than, or more specific than Hakuna Matata. Don't worry, be happy. Because everything is going to be perfect and fine and happy in your life. Jesus must be pointing to something bigger, better, beyond, greater than just that. After all, and we all know this, when we slow down and look and listen closely and acknowledge, in some ways what Jesus says in this passage cannot be taken literally or universally because it is not true that all birds are adequately fed and that all lilies reach their fullest beauty. Droughts and other catastrophes cut short the lives of both birds and flowers as well as humans who trust in God. 
It simply is not the case that those who seek first the kingdom of God find invariably that all things necessary for life are always added to them. We know that from experience and observation, don't we? We know these things to be true. As a case in point, yesterday afternoon, right here in the sanctuary, we remembered and gave thanks to God in worship for Blanca Benavides, who passed away because of cancer far, far, far too early. Moreover, as an American missionary who spent significant time in the Philippines among poor people has written, I was convinced that this passage could not be comfortably preached to the poor, maybe not at all, because it is cruel to tell the people who are poor and suffering and hungry and without clothes not to be anxious about not having any of that when they don't. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. It's really important that we listen deeply to Jesus. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 6, Solomon encourages his readers to take notice of ants, yes, the little insects, which store up food, store up, as in barns, not barns, but they store up. In the summer when it's readily available, so they will have plenty in the months later when food is not available. Learn from the ants, Solomon said. Store up, Jesus says. Don't worry about that. What about the rest of us? Jesus says to not worry about our own lives, what we will eat or drink, or what we will wear. He never, however, noticed says not to be concerned about what others will eat and what others will wear. Jesus never says that we should not worry about others having enough. Notice that. Instead, he says, don't worry about yourself. Don't worry about your own things, which is our human tendency and all that most of us do. But he doesn't prohibit or even discourage the worry or the concern or the interest in others having enough to eat and others having clothes to wear. In a consumption-centered world in which the vast majority of people have enough clothes and have sufficient food, even when the world is teetering on the edge of recession as we are and have been, Jesus subtly calls his people away from obsessions around or over and about such things for themselves. Obsessions that breed worry and anxiety and stress about having enough, about having the right things, about having the latest things, about having the coolest things, about looking just right, dressing to impress, eating like kings and queens. Jesus seems to be calling our world away from both its worry about food and also its or our worship of food from both our worry about clothes and our worship of clothes. Because, as we know, not only do such obsessions or worries keep our eyes on the wrong things, but worry, including about such common things, shortens our lives on earth. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Of course not. Though how many of us have tried? <laughs> 
I have. I do. Everyone knows, and Jesus knew, that exactly the opposite is actually true. Worry, anxiety, and stress shorten people's lives, raise people's blood pressure, contribute to mental health challenges, add strain to relationships, negatively affect our sleep, draw people into unhealthy eating habits, and so on and on and on. Is it not true? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And yet it's almost human nature across centuries to worry about things. First century, 21st century. Some scholars think Jesus' words here would have made more sense if Jesus had spoken them specifically to his 12 disciples in or shortly after chapter 10 in Matthew's gospel when Jesus sent them out on their first mission trip telling them not to take with them any gold or silver or copper or clothes or extra clothes or sandals or a staff but instead to depend on the hospitality of those to whom they were sent, those they encounter along the way. Just trust God. to provide for you. Some scholars think that the words of Jesus that we've just read this morning about worry really belong in that context. But Matthew's pretty clear. Jesus is pretty clear. The context in which Jesus speaks these words is about money. It's right on the tails of money, and he begins verse 25 with, Therefore, it's pretty clear that it's closely related, or at least often, to money, wealth, and possessions, and the temptation to treat money as a god or an idol. And Jesus says, don't do it, continuing with his theme from the previous section. It all flows together. Don't do it. Don't worry about such things or other things. Do not allow them to consume your thoughts or your wants or your desires, or your affections, or your attention, as they so almost naturally do. Instead, Jesus says, set your mind, your thoughts, your affections, your attentions on the things of God's kingdom, on God's kingdom itself. Seek first his kingdom. And everything you truly need, according to Jesus, will be given to you. You may not get that house, or that car, or that boat, or that toy, or that gadget, or that device, or that appliance, or those clothes, or that vacation, or the, that jewelry, or whatever. But God, Jesus says really clearly, will supply you with that which you truly need. In and according to his kingdom today. And I think this may be the primary point of Jesus' teaching here. Not that we're going to get everything we want but that God is like a good father or a good parent who knows what we need even before we ask. Rewind it earlier in the chapter 6, verse 8, where Jesus is talking about prayer. A good father or a good parent who cares about us deeply and profoundly, who is with us, who, uh, whose eyes are on us. As a loving parent's eyes are always on their beloved children. Who, Jesus says, are valuable who have inherent value and worth to God and who will provide what we truly need. We are more valuable to God 
than the birds of the air and all their beauty, than the grass and the flowers of the fields and all of their beauty. And so as a strategy or a tool to help us counteract our tendency to worry, Jesus says, seek first, and it's a competition of firsts. At the end of the other passage, verse 25, it's, you can only worship God or money. You can't serve both. But here he says, instead of seeking after wealth or clothes or food or whatever it may be, seek first. And so here is a comparison of two desires. What is it that you desire the most? What is it that we desire the most? Desire most his kingdom or his reign or his rule in your life and in the world around your life. Seek first God's kingdom and seek first God's righteousness. And then everything that's a part of that righteousness, that good life we talked about months ago now, the good life in Jesus, the good way, a better kind of righteousness than that of the Pharisees, will be added to you, will be piled up in your life, will be given to you. God is a good father. God is a loving father. God loves his people. We revert to worry. Jesus says, you don't need to worry. God sees, God knows, God's got you covered. God's got you in his hands. He is not going to let you go. Twice this week, I encountered people who were afraid that they might somehow slip through God's hands and the grace of God into an eternity or an abyss or a life or an existence without him. It is not possible in Jesus Christ. He loves, you are valuable, we are to him. And so seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, or his way of goodness, and everything that you need will be added to you. We talked about what Jesus first hears his disciples, those around on the hillside, might have been worrying. We've talked about what people in our world might have worried, might worry most about. What about you and what about me? Before we go any further, I'd encourage you to identify one thing, two things, three things about which you worry today. What's the thing that you worry most about? And then take that and acknowledge that to God and say, I can trust you with this. Doesn't mean that we stop working, doesn't mean that we stop trying. The ants work really hard. But we hold up those things about which we worry for our own well-being and for the coming of God's kingdom in our lives and in the world to God as offerings, as confession, as handing them over to him. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, again in all things, present your request to God. Don't be anxious about anything. Our world of worry, anxiety, and stress needs to hear just as much, but in different ways, what Jesus' closest disciple, Peter, clearly must have heard that day from Jesus, because years later, he goes on to write two 
of the letters that make it into the Bible, the first of which says in, one, in its fifth chapter these words from Peter, from Jesus, cast all of your anxiety or worry on God because he cares for you. Whatever it is, whatever you worry about, your job, a relationship, food, clothes, money, safety, health, Jesus invites you to unload that onto the one who loves you more than anyone ever has, can, or will, God the Father himself, and trust him with that, and then follow that up by seeking first his reign. And his promise is that you will be cared for. You are valuable to the Father. You are loved and always will be. Let's pray. Help us to trust you, God, with the things to which we cling mightily, which we seek wrongly. Help us to trust you, grow us in faith, prompt us to believe. You are belief worthy, you are trustworthy, you have always been faithful, you are merciful and you continue to be merciful, you promise. Grow your church in trust. Help us to live lives that are detached from the worries of our world and are focused single-mindedly and single-heartedly on you, on your reign, on your coming, and on your glory. May your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives as it is in heaven. Amen.